Welcome to the International Order of the Golden Rule podcast series. OGR provides tools and resources to help independently owned funeral homes be exceptional. We oftentimes think of something like the human skills of the workplace, building connection, practicing empathy, almost like personality traits. Some people have them, some people don't, and that's just the way it is. Instead of seeing them as competencies that people can and should be growing in. So in my work, I help organizations skill up their people and their processes to better support individuals as they go through disruptive life events. Hello and welcome. I am Gregory McClary, and this is Digital Podcast Series from the Order of the Golden Rule, a podcast by, for, and about independent funeral home profession. Our theme this year is the changing consumer as we focus on how your business can develop and pivot with the needs of your customer. Today's guest is Liesl Mertes from Workplace a workplace etiquette consultant from the Handle with Care consultant. We're excited to welcome her. It's an honor for me to be here with you and to hear how your organization support people in the midst of hard times that matters and driving retention, helping to attract talent and to let people know that you truly care. As we continue to discuss the changing consumer we look forward to hearing some ways we can create a more empathetic workplace. Nice to meet you, Gregory. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So let's 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 dig in and let's let's go at some questions. And again, I want to just welcome you. And I know we didn't have the time to really introduce you with what I have learned of the powerful work you're doing. And it's it's something that I guess we have kind of not really paid much emphasis on. So tell us a little bit about the workplace empathy and why it matters. I'd love to. We oftentimes think of something like the human skills of the workplace, building connection, practicing empathy, almost like personality traits. Some people have them, some people don't, and that's just the way it is. Instead of seeing them as competencies that people can and should be growing in. So in my work, I help organizations skill up their people and their processes to better support individuals as they go through disruptive life events. Why it matters, well, it's not just a pandemic thing, but 2022 has had two and a half years now of really realizing that the churn of disruptive life events that are affecting so many of us. And that that happens even when there's not a pandemic. That can be a disruptive diagnosis. That can be welcoming children into the home or ushering them out of it, a relationship transition. Um, in my own life, that was... Uh, really came to the fore when I was in my MBA program at Indiana University. I had two young children at home and uh, found out I was unexpectedly pregnant heading into business school with my third child. There's a little girl named Mercy Joan. And I gave birth to her in second semester right before spring break. And she actually only lived for eight days. You know, it's a loss that ripples through our family still of this, this missing sister. It was, it was also, as it relates to this work, this moment to 
reflect on um, how much support I actually did need. I'm, I'm a high achiever. I've got great bandwidth. You know, I'm in this competitive program. I'd be like, I'm not, I'm not just fine. Like I'm not doing okay. I need support. And to realize that there were some people who were really good at it and some people who were really, really poor and had no idea how poor they were. And also to reflect structurally on this whole program to think like we're training leaders and managers and we're not talking about this stuff at all, which really does, it affects leaders, it affects our workplaces. And the question isn't, is it happening? Disruption is happening. The question is, are we proactively wanting to encounter it well, or are we just hoping for the best and putting out fires? Great. During the major part of COVID-19 that really placed a, a great, I guess you would say, emphasis on empathy from the people who were going through things and the people who were trying to help the people going through things. How did your program uh, really work to help people? Did you see even during and after the, the major part of COVID-19, is there a greater need? There's a greater realization of a need. Definitely. If you look at the numbers, you know, and it, and it isn't just some some touchy feely thing, like the numbers really bear itself out last year. Uh, it was something like 85% of respondents to a nationwide survey said that their mental health had taken a, a substantial decline as a result of the last couple of years. And then there's specifically the empathy at work survey, which has been looking at empathy practices across industries. And the numbers were something like 82% of respondents said that the presence or absence of empathy directly affected their productivity. 76% um, said they would switch jobs for increased empathy, which especially in a tight labor market is something that we should be paying attention to. And so the goal that I always have in my engagements, whether in the pandemic or before, is to make it really actionable. Like this isn't just a conceptual thing to talk about. What are actions that we can take regularly? How do we equip managers to have truly meaningful check-ins with people that go beyond the episodic just, how are you doing? I'm fine, I'm fine. What are, a key part of what I do is I introduce people to what they have in their empathy toolkit. Like the, the tools that we reach for in response to our own hard times or someone else's. And I introduced that through empathy avatars, which are like memorable ways of encountering our suboptimal response patterns. Like Gregory, you might be a fix it Frank. If I tell you something hard that's happened in my life, like I'm just so exhausted from all of these Zoom meetings and I feel overwhelmed, you might say, well, have you tried just switching off your camera or have you tried building more time into your calendar? Like you automatically want to jump to fixing it and how that creates distance or cheer up Cheryl or commiserating Candace who always has their own story of something hard and like takes the narrative. So learning the ways that we fail to connect even with our best intentions really also introduces us to a pathway of growth. Great, great answer. Uh, as you know, we in the deaf care industry or the funeral industry, we we really went through a tough time during COVID-19 where we were dealing with it, trying to protect ourselves, trying to serve the families. And do you feel that we as deaf care providers, how can we better, I guess, exhibit the empathy for people or we just go through the motion mm. 
is this a business but how how can you know and, and i know sometimes if you haven't lost a loved one you see things different from when somebody have lost one but how can we come to that point that we are better maybe standing in their shoes to help them than just standing on the outside doing something to get yeah them? well first i i want to acknowledge although I, I have not worked in the death care industry it it reminds me of some of the dynamics with healthcare clients that i've worked with you they are frontline responders, you are final responders, and you're both encountering these incredibly human moments of overwhelm, of grief, of sadness. And uh, it reminds me of a session that I have done for those constituents many times, which is coping with change and compassion fatigue, that compassion fatigue is, um, you know, the, the scientific like more uh, abstract definition is uh, the emotional residue of exposure to another person's grief or trauma. But it's, you know, at a gut level, I, I was presenting once in a session and a man raised his hand in the front row and he goes, I know exactly what that feels like. He goes, what that feels like is when I go home at the end of the day and he said, and I just need my wife and my four kids to be perfect. He goes, I know that's not possible. My youngest is nine months old. There's no way they can all be perfect. He goes, but I've, it's just been so stressful and I've had to show up for so many people that I have nothing left for the rest of my life at the end of the day. And, and I can see you nod a little bit, like, especially as I talk with people, this, this sentiment of like, okay, I know that I have to give to people, but I myself feel very depleted is a, a first place to start is just for those in the, in those professions that really do require a lot is, is what are you doing to fill yourself up outside of work? Like, it's so easy, especially in times where like it was such a high demand. It was such a crisis point. We, we had these refrigerated morgues, you know, so much and just have head down. I've got to keep pushing. There's no room. Um, so I, I oftentimes introduce practices. How do you fill yourself up so you can show up empathetically? And then those those meaningful words and gestures. And, and maybe we'll go into this in uh, a different question. Like there are things that you can say that are, are better and worse. There's also I, I can think of my own story. My daughter, Mercy Joan, she died in home hospice care, and it was the middle of the night. And so she had died. We had called, you know, we had called the people that you call with hospice. We had an hour or two with her and um, the funeral home representative that came. So it's it's like on the cover of blackness when the whole world is asleep, except for people like us, like you guys in death care. And he arrives at the door. It's like three in the morning to this incredibly you know, emotionally heavy experience. And, and he had, he had a quilt, you know, in his, in his arms to be able to receive my daughter. And he didn't have to have a quilt. He could have had, he could have had something so institutional, but even that like attunement to the moment I am showing up for an infant, like it showed me that, that he was caring in a particular way. And it, it still stands out 12 years later. How can a, say a group, and I know you speak to so many groups on your the subject, but just say a, a particular funeral, how can, or can it be, can he teaches, how can he, he teach his staff to be better at empathy for people? How can he be, he or she be better at empathy for his staff that he can, you know, bring that retention in that his staff will see that he 
cares for them and not so much he's demanding to show the families we serve how much we care. Right. Yeah, because it's a, a setup for a employee burnout if it's always like we're we're showing empathy to all of these customers and stakeholders, but we forget that employees are first customers and we can't expect them to consistently give the care we want if they're not feeling that. First, I think it starts with a really basic awareness that oftentimes we we feel like we want to fix somebody else's grief. Uh, we want to make them feel better, like and and just releasing oneself from that pressure. Like people's greatest uh, fear when they go through something like a disruptive life event is that they'll be all alone in it. No one will know how to come close to me. And um, so actually just being with someone is more powerful. And and there aren't magic words, you know, there's not magic words for for the death, for the divorce. And, and even just basic phrases, people get hung up and like, I don't know what to say, even just, I'm sorry you're going through this. Even, I don't know what to say but I want to let you know that I care right now. Like even that is helpful. Um, so there's, there's that in sessions, oftentimes I do an exercise called emotional mirroring, which can be really helpful in especially um, conveying to, to clients or to employees that you like are, are sensing what they're feeling. And, and that involves just, you know, if you're listening to someone and, and they they sound angry. You know, they're so mad. They're, they're saying things like, I can't believe they'd leave me all alone like this. Like, I don't even know where to go. You, you try to use your emotional listening and you just say that emotion back. That, that sounds really angry. Mm. You sound, you sound sad, you know that. And it's amazing how that actually makes people feel really seen and heard. Um, practice it with your teenagers. If you have the, them at home too, like it is not just for professional situations, but that, that sense of like, Oh, and then, and then a final note are thinking about institutional gestures of support, whether that is each time something hard happens, we write a card or we I offer something specific, the greater specificity, especially with your employees. Lots of times we we will stop at a, a very vague, like, let me know if I can help. And how many times have you said that and nobody has ever come back to you? That's because if they're going through something hard, it's one more step to be like, how can you help? I'm going to inventory. Then I have to text you a couple of days later, like offer something specific. I am going to Costco tonight. Can I pick you up a rotisserie chicken and drop it by your front door? You know, I know you're driving back and forth to the hospital. Here's a gas card, like specific offers really go a lot further than just vague sentiments. Right. right. I know we so often hear a word opposite of that sounds like the opposite of empathy. We hear sympathy. And and I think and, and I hear that so often that people say, well, we we have oh, you have my sympathy and, and people say, yeah, we, we, we understand. But how can you show people you have that empathy mm. and, and not just like what you just said of, of doing things, but sometimes it can easily get to be a just a, to normal saying things. We get so used to just saying things that it just come out, you know, I. I sympathy, I have sympathy for you. You have my sympathy, you know, but what gets you to the point to stand in a place that you can say you have that empathy? Yeah, it's a, it's an interesting question. I, I would add with the asterisks, I think generally just we're grief adverse society. We like, we want happy meals. We want you to be better. We don't know what we do. We don't know what to say. So some people 
it's very important, the distinction between sympathy and empathy. And I do think it matters and I will answer the question, but I would say if, whether you call it sympathy or empathy, if you're moving towards someone, that's at least the right direction. Like for a number of people, they, they just freeze or they, they move away. So, but specifically with empathy, you know, Brene Brown has a great little, uh, a talk that has been made into an animated video. You can Google Brene Brown on empathy, which is helpful, but sympathy is the idea of like, it sounds so crappy what you're going through. I'm so glad that nothing like that has ever happened. It's, it's that sense of being apart. Empathy has to do with not having gone through the same thing, but trying to connect with the emotions that underpin it to be helpful. Let me, let me give an example to make that a little more human. Uh, when I was in college, I had three roommates, all from Wisconsin. Heidi was one of them. Loved Green Bay Packers, loved Brett Favre. Heidi was a great roommate. Heidi also had the distinction among the five of us. She was the only one who had had a parent die. Her mother had died during her senior year of high school. I'm still privileged enough to have both parents living. And we're, we're coming up on that first Mother's Day. We'd been friends for about a year. And if I was focusing on having had the same experience, I, I haven't. And, and that focus on shared experience would lead me to back up from Heidi. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. This has never happened to me. Whereas if I instead focus on what Heidi might be feeling, if I try to get closer to what emotions might be there, it's going to get me a lot closer. I, so I, I can think, what, what might Heidi be feeling right now? She might be feeling sad or overwhelmed or lonely. And I, I actually have felt all those things. I felt sad. I felt overwhelmed. I felt lonely. And I know what was helpful to me or to other people I've observed when they're lonely. I think, well, maybe I'll see if she wants to do a Friday night movie or something like that. And that's not, that doesn't mean you bat, you know, a hundred percent. I might think she's sad and she's angry and she might say, I'm, I'm not sad. I'm ticked off. And then, and then I pivot in the moment and I think, okay, what can I do for someone who's angry? But I find it's helpful to, to try to get closer to the emotions, to build up my capacity to observe that. And then to connect that to something in my own story that helps get me more to that posture. Great. I saw where you, it was a, how some people feel compassion and then change fatigue. Can mm -hmm. you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So there's, there's the compassion <clears throat> fatigue piece, which is just all the sad stories for those that are on the front line. There's also change fatigue, which is going on and continues to be the reality of our world of American work, which is this, this constant rate of, um, new new procedures or new hiring or maybe we have a new executive director or we have to have a new hand washing palette it's all of these things like the rate of accretion that are also exhausting there was a study by atlassian that was done last year which was comparing lots of small organizational changes versus large ones so like a change in leadership the the family business has been given to the daughter now she's the new ceo we we would think like oh man that's that's going to that's going to take a toll on the people and it does there's there's you know a recalibration that has to happen but actually studies have shown that all of the the small changes even within your industry whether that was 
the statewide rule as to, you know, distancing or how many people you could have in a room. And it's that, you know, this is the September uh, protocol, which is different than the November one. And we have to do something different with the room dividers or the parking, you know, all of those smaller changes actually have 2.5 times the cumulative impact of these big changes, all of the small ones that we're having to do all the time. And um, how to address that, the biggest way to address that, the study was showing was to have trust in the organization. Like that mediates that sense of I've got to quit my job or I'm going to blow up or I'm going to become completely disconnected. Like the higher trust organizations are the ones where those changes were able to be more absorbed. So in the midst of teaching people how do we have a meaningful check-in? Like, how do we not just show up at work and then leave? Like, how can we have a more human sorts of interactions? That helps build that organizational trust so that when you have all of these small changes or even some of the bigger changes, you have much more of a chance that like your people are going to want to stay and they're going to want to be bought into the mission and bought into each other enough to say we're we're in it for the long term. Wow. <clears throat> I read where Maya Angelou uh, wrote, I think we all have empathy. We may not have enough courage to display it. Mm-hmm. Uh, do, and, and I think that if I'm correct, empathy is an uh, inner trait that we have. But in your work, what can you do in your teaching to help bring that out of mm-hmm. the person who, who, who worked in this field and in any field? Well, it's always a good way to tee up a conversation to quote from Maya Angelou. She has a beautiful way with words and uh, I'm a big fan. I think it's helpful to start with um, the realization that everybody can grow in this. Yes, there are some people that by bent of personality or practice, like they're naturally more inclined to it, but everybody, we're all on a continue. I teach this stuff and like sometimes my own kids call me out. They're like, you're doing that fix it Frank thing to me. Stop it. So so we are we are all learners together. Empathy is not going to come at some super convenient moment in your day. Like there's also this sense of like, I will be ready to be to care about other people's needs. If I have had my my, you know, my partner made me an omelet this morning. I got 12 hours of sleep. I'm heading into a three-day weekend. Oh, you have a need? Sure. I had a meeting canceled. I've got time in my schedule. When the reality is it oftentimes comes at inconvenient moments. So we have to practice like purpose. I want to practice it anyway. Um, The other aspect of of getting better at empathy. So one part of it is being aware of of where you'd go off the rails. Maybe you're someone who is, who's a buck up Bobby. Your, your bent is just to persevere. You drive yourself hard and you're going to drive others around you hard. So, you know, like, oh, I've got to step back from this, but getting better at empathy is like getting better at anything. If, if I am starting, if I want to deadlift, I'm going to spend a heck of a lot of time working on the form of deadlifting and barely lifting anything, just just getting the reps in to have good form so that when the load comes, I can do it. And for some people, you know, it might feel it might feel like they have to give a lot of intention in reworking their habits like, oh, I'm going to ask, how are you really doing or or an exercise like a, a I give people this stoplight check-in, like at the beginning of a meeting, ask people to rate where they are. Are they red, yellow, or green with the energy they're bringing? Red is I'm here, but it's really difficult. Yellow is I'm here, but I have some hesitation. Green is I'm good to go. I feel great. That might feel a little performative at the start. Like, why am I doing this? Like, does it really matter? But 
but it's giving you a sense of like, oh, I'm getting a sense of the room. I'm getting a sense of where my people are consistently. You know, I'm I'm asking more about it afterwards. If somebody's read, like you're building up the muscle and you're getting form down. And over time, that becomes more natural. Like you do enough of those, you know more about your people and, and that genuine care does come. So it's an encouragement even to those who, if they're beginning on the journey and they're like, this feels dumb. This feels like I'm just going through the motions. Well, yeah, like anything that you grow in, sometimes it starts out that way. Right. Give it some time. Yeah. I noticed that, uh, you know, the big thing we've heard on the news lately, how people are leaving jobs kind of on a quiet way. And before you know it, they just have distanced themselves. And some of them are even working on the jobs, but still have distanced themselves from how can, say, management or owners be on the lookout of uh, somebody who is distant himself because maybe they don't feel the empathy coming to them? Yeah. Well, there's a couple of parts to that question. Some some people are doing quiet quitting because they're not getting good compensation and they have better options. So one, one part of it is just structural, you know look at what you're paying your people. Is it, is it at a market wage? Look at the benefits that you're offering that, but that's just in the normal rhythms of any business, like do that inventory on a regular basis. So you're competitive in your market, but as it comes to people leaving, you know, it's that old adage, people don't leave their jobs. They leave their managers. I like the move towards doing state interviews with people. Like we do exit interviews, do state interviews. What are you really enjoying about work right now? What would you like to grow in? What are aspects of, you know, things that you wish were different? If you could make, wave a magic wand, how would you like this to be different? So I, I like those purposeful questions. Maybe do them like once every six months. That'll get you good information. And also, again, I know I mentioned it, this, uh, this sense of a stoplight check-in is a great way to just be getting a sense of your team and where they're at. Also, as a leader, you know, for some people listening, they're like, okay, so you're talking about sharing like a more human dynamic at work. We don't do that at my workplace. Like, that's very uncomfortable. We don't know. Like that's hard to ask the people who are at the bottom of the hierarchy to just start doing if they don't believe there's a safe space. You, if you're a leader listening to this and you think I, you know, I'm, I'm bought in, I believe the numbers show, I want to start leading that in the midst of something like a stoplight check-in you know, share a little bit of a window of your world, not in a way that's leaky, like you don't have to air your dirty laundry, but you might say something, you know, for me, next month is the anniversary of my daughter's death. If you're asking me in February, you know, February 14th, how I'm doing, I might say I'm yellow right now. It's, it's hard for me. Tomorrow is the anniversary of Mercy's birth. And, you know, it's just a little challenging right now. What that does is that gives permission for other people to be like, we can note that we're actually affected because we are, we are affected by things outside of the world of work. And that, that gets the conversation beginning. And does that mean that you'll always be able to predict who's leaving and who's staying? No, unfortunately it doesn't. Does it mean that you're going to get a lot closer to knowing more of the dynamics that are at play when they come up? Absolutely. Great. There's another, another quote and I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have the, the name, but it the highest form of knowledge is empathy. And, and that sound what you're saying sounds like the more you know maybe about someone and the more that person see that you know, that's that's showing that empathy, that need. Like if they know next month is 
an anniversary or somebody's death, that's that's empathy that you care enough for them and not just, well, I just do the job, you know, it's that you care enough to support them to do the job. And, I, and I'm, I'm really seeing uh, empathy, this, this conversation is, is, is teaching me to how to see other people and, and not walk in their shoes, but you got to walk with them in their shoes, you know. Oh, I like that turn of phrase. <clears throat> yeah, you don't have to walk in their shoes, but walk alongside them as they journey. That's quotable. You should pull that one out for the podcast, Gregory. I like that. So, you know, I, I'm always, uh, and I know all of the people who are listening, funeral directors, they are all about changing, making things better uh, for their staff. And I, one of the things about it, I know that change is slow. It's a slow process. So take um, a funeral home, and being that we are with funeral homes, how would you suggest to begin an environment to implement the environment of compassion and, and empathy? Well, I know I've said it a couple of times, but I say it because I, I work with a range of companies and hands down, this is the stickiest tool that I share with them. When I, when I talk with them six months, a year later, you know, whether that's in manufacturing or government, all industries, I say, what are you using? They say, we love that stoplight thing. That's so helpful. Start your day, start your meetings out by asking people about where their energy is at. It really will make a difference. And, and don't have it just be perfect, like actually make some space. Think about how you check in with your employees. I talk about structurally, especially if an employee has gone through a disruptive life event, you need to roughly think first day, week, and month, at least checking in with them in that sort of a cadence. And I, this is true in my own life. It's true in the people that I coach and I work with, you can have the best of intentions. If you do not put it in your calendar, you will not actualize it. Like you'll, you'll sit, you'll be like, I want to do that. That's great. Like if, when something goes down for one of your people, write the next day, you know, check in with Brian, go to the next month, check in with Brian, go, you know, put it in there. Like it matters. Another thing that I tell people just like structurally, I keep a running note in my calendar before major holidays, low-hanging fruit, Father's Day, Mother's Day, Thanksgiving, Christmas, people who I know that that is going to be a hard time for, whether that is clients or employees. And um, I, I abbreviated FU for follow-up, although someone did tell me recently that maybe I should have a different abbreviation. But I just, I just send people a text or I give them a call you know, before, and it's not something fancy. I say something like, I'm, I'm thinking about you. I imagine this is a hard first anniversary. And then, you know, one more, well, two more practical things. Take all the time you need is a lie. It's not actually true. You're not going to be able to give somebody all the time they need, but we say it because it sounds good. But really what it does, the other person knows that that is not accurate, but what they really don't know is how much time they really do have. So propose something specific and time bound. Take the next 72 hours. Do not check your phone. Don't check your email. We're going to touch base again then. And just keep keep doing it in that time bound way. Because when you say something like take all the time you want, like it's so vague that it actually causes more confusion. Like they don't know what you mean by it. So offer something specific. Finally, be a place that also celebrates the good things. You know, there's a lot of energy and especially in the work that you're in, in looking at grief and disruption, but in valuing the whole person, celebrate the growth in your organization. Have you knocked it out of the park in customer service in the last year? 
you know, people have written back and, and said, you know, you just create a beautiful space for me. Like honor the employees that did that, celebrate that, post it on the wall. Somebody's having a baby, somebody's getting married. Like don't miss the moments to, to celebrate the good disruptive life events as well. That's going to build up that trust. Great, great. Um, our series this year is The Changing Consumer, Attitudes Toward Deaf Care and How We Help Loved Ones During This Important Time is Consistent Involving. Uh, similar to this, um, and with what we have gone through, uh, especially I said the last two, three years, where do you see the workplace uh, culture going this year and next year? to um, have a change. You know, we, we had that disruptive, that of change. Now, what can we do to kind of react that change to be in a positive way? Yeah, there, there's all kinds of, um, of names that people want to put to stuff. The great, you know, whatever. I like the great recalibration. I think that we're seeing people with more choice than ever. And um they are going to go to places that align with their values and an emerging value that has come out of the pandemic is this desire for human connection, for flexibility, for a workplace that values me as more than just what I can produce. Um, I'll, I'll share a quick anecdote. Uh, my husband was socially with a group of uh, leading business people here in my regional area. And, uh, they were, they were talking about, you know, what their families and things like that. So, so my husband mentioned what I did she's a, she's a workplace empathy consultant. She has her own business and uh, there's this man and he was a couple of bourbons gone, but he, he just goes, he goes, I can't believe that's even a business. He goes, what we need is a good recession. So people can finally be grateful for what they've got and we can stop having to dink around, you know, like basically he was like, can we just go back to the way it was where, you know, we didn't have to acknowledge the personhood and people were just grateful that they had a job. I don't think that we're ever fully going to go back to where that was. The movement is, and it's healthy and it's good. And, and the organizations and the employers that really embrace that and say, you know what, that leads to human flourishing anyway. That's who I want to be as a business owner, as, as a businessman, as a businesswoman. Like that leads to better outcomes, at least better customer service. That leads to people, even if they leave us, even if they go to another job, they would say, I want, I'm going to recommend working there. It was one of the best places. They launched me in my career. Like that long-term sustainability and value add to the community is actually a beautiful vision. And yes, it requires skilling up. It requires more intention along the way, but it's, it's not, it is not a detraction. It is a value add for the long-term of what you do. And you guys are already thinking about this stuff to be good at what you do. You have had to pay attention to the human aspect of grief and loss. And it's just expanding a skill set that you guys are already living out of regularly. Wow. Wow. I, um, one of my favorite things I do, um, and I've been doing it for about four years, is when I meet people like at restaurants uh, and when I go shopping in a store and I ask them, you know, how are they doing? And then I ask them, how is your family doing? Mm. And I have really learned some things about people uh, in the condition that they are. In fact, I was in one store and I asked the lady, uh, how she, how was her family? And she paused and 
Then she went on to tell me that she had just come from her husband memorial service and she was at work at that time. And and I was in another place, a restaurant, and they shared with me, you know, that their family were going through some things. And she she even asked me to pray for. Her. So I'm I'm finding that this empathy is about caring, uh, about caring about people and going beyond yourself. Because you can just be yourself and you can be in a store and say, hey, okay, thank you, bye. Or you can think beyond because you you know, like a lot of people will spend time finding fault if they get a bad salesperson, but yet you don't know what that salesperson been going through. And so I have, I've started that. It's, I, I call it my trade, my trademark, but it, it has worked and I've, I've learned a lot about people and I've learned to even use that to, to help people. And, and people will say, you know, I'm glad you asked, you know. So before we wrap it up today, what would you tell all of us, or just tell that individual person, where do we start today being better at empathy? That's a good question. I think it starts by paying attention, like by by having <clears throat> enough space in your life and your schedule to say, I, I want to pause for a human moment. And that is the first thing to go in in a in a hyper scheduled one thing to the next. Let's all be about efficiency culture. Like we don't even have time to do it. You know, if you're super scheduled and you're going through your community and you're at a store or you're, you know, and, and you got the three things you have to pick up for your wife and then you got to go. So like, it's so easy to be in the zone that actually anybody you interact with, you wouldn't even think of asking about their family because you've got to get to the next thing. So having space in our schedules, if if you want to, if you want to take a little bit more of a vulnerable step, you can ask somebody that you live with or somebody that you work with. How how do you see me responding to other people's disruptive life events? Like, what where can I grow? What am I good at? Uh, sometimes we don't always have a view on ourselves, but some some time to pause, asking somebody else, do the stoplight check-in. Just start doing it with your team. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's going to be helpful. I sometimes do it around like my dinner table. We are a family of six. So people are coming from all different emotional moments and being like, okay, Moses is red right now. We're just going to leave him alone at the end of the table. But Jemima's do green, so let's ask her about her day. Like, it's just helpful. Right. Wow. So, uh, Ms. Lisa, I, I just want to thank you so much for being with us uh, today and taking the time out to share with us. And you have opened our eyes to a new way of thinking and should be a new way of doing because it's mm. always say it's not good to just hear the concept but also be about putting action to it and i also we we didn't get into it but i also know you're supposed to be speaking to our group later on this year and we look forward to it and i know you got a lot of content that you'll be sharing with us that we don't have time to do the, the day but i want you to know that what you've shared today as uh, is greatly appreciated and I want to thank you and it's a it's my highest honor to thank you and to be a part of uh, talking with you today and um, I learned something and I know the uh, listeners out there learned something today and you know I, I hope that say a year from now you come back and ask us we can tell you what we have learned and what we have put in action so again thank you so much for being mm -hmm. with us and uh, I look forward to seeing you in May at the convention. 
Yes, I can't wait to see not just you, Gregory, but some of the listeners there as well. We'll look forward to it. You will. Thank you so much. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you for listening to this episode of the OGR podcast series. For more ideas on how you can better serve the changing needs of your families, check out our other episodes at OGR.org slash library. That's OGR.org slash library. Or find us wherever you subscribe to your favorite podcasts. 